next on Contemplate. We can know what's right and wrong. It's right here in the Bible. You want to know what's right and wrong? You don't have to wonder and go, how can we even know these things? Open one of these. God has not been unclear about what's right and what's wrong. Welcome to Contemplate, a Bible teaching ministry of Pastor David Robinson and brought to you by Acts Church in Vancouver, Washington. We've been looking at the first five chapters from the book of Psalms, and today we'll begin to look at two seemingly very different things, grace and enemies. Here's Pastor David. Get to study the Word this morning. That's a blessing. It's, you know, we go through the week and things can be tough, and they have been for, for me, for my family. We've had some tough news this week about some family members and things like that, and yet we get to come on a Sunday morning and just rest, get into the Scripture, know God more, and, and know that our faith is sound. And so let's pray before we get started. Father, I just pray you be with us in the teaching of the Word, in the study of the Word, that we would grow in you, that we would, those who don't know you would come to you that those of us who are in you, who are Christ followers, would grow in you, in your name. Amen. Most of you know I'm a lawyer, or mostly a pastor, but a lawyer also. Or as in Tennessee, they call it a lawyer. And uh, they're probably right about that, to be honest with you. It's hard to argue. I mean, the word is law. But they say a lot of weird things, like they call shopping carts buggies. So... Should we really be taking much that they say about language? In any case, <laughs> I've practiced law for a number of years. Some of that time has been spent handling family law, juvenile court, criminal defense work, things like that. And those are, those are difficult. Uh, in representing clients and that kind of work, I've seen cases that are terrible. Terrible. Terrible things done to men, terrible things done to women, terrible things done to children. It's difficult work to do that. And if you do it, it's very difficult to retain any kind of faith in people. Now, by God's providence, I was a Christ follower when I became an attorney, so I didn't have any faith in people. Uh, <laughs> because I know what people are like. Because I know what I'm like. Um, David says this about himself in Psalm 51.5. He says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. Like David, I know my iniquity. It was there as early as I can remember. And for the times before that, my parents remember and remind me. I never had to be taught how to sin somehow. I don't know how that works, but I never had to be taught to be rebellious. Uh, not only did I not have any training in knowing how to sin, but I was instantly an expert. Very, very good at it. So I know what our hearts are like. I know what the hearts of men are like. These cases that I worked on as a lawyer, some of them were horrific, honestly. And because I was connected to so many other lawyers when I was practicing full-time, I heard about their horrific cases, too. I've seen the wickedness of men, the wickedness of women, and even children, uh, young people. Have, I've seen some things that are pretty terrible. But the people who have done these things are no different than me, no worse than me. I have also been wicked. I've also done wicked things and thought wicked things. We're fighting the spiritual battle for the hearts of men and women. And there are many men and women who are living lives of sin. And they're horrible, horrible lives. They're difficult, they're terrible, terrible way to live. King David faced people like this, just like we do, and he prayed to God about them. 
Uh, as we complete, Lord willing, today, we complete our study through the first five chapters of the book of Psalms, we're going to see David calling out to God for help with his enemies. His enemies, they were wicked people. They were rebels against David, but more importantly, they were rebels against God. And if you were here for the last study on Psalm 5, we studied the first part of the, of the chapter, and we studied the last part of the chapter. And we concentrated on the importance of prayer. It's David's praying here. And the blessings and joy and protection for the person who's committed to God. And David kind of lays that out. This time we're going to read sort of the middle of Psalm 5 to finish out. And so if you don't have one with you, uh, there are Bibles in the chairs by you. And if you don't have one of these at home, or yours is really old or whatever, this is our gift to you today. You can take one of these Bibles home with you and read it. Please do. Um, there's life in this book. And so um, grab one if you don't have one, or you can look on your phone if you'd rather not use paper. But there's something about, you know, the, the paper Bible. So I hope you guys are able to use that. Uh, we're going to be in Psalm 5. It's right in the middle of the Bible. It says this, Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my meditation. Give heed to the voice of my cry, my King and my God. For to you I will pray. My voice you shall hear in the morning, O Lord. In the morning, I will direct it to you and will look up. Now we're going to get to the section that we're going to study today. It says, For you are not a God who takes pleasure in wickedness, nor shall evil dwell with you. The boastful shall not stand in your sight. You hate all workers of iniquity. You shall destroy those who speak falsehood. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. But as for me, I will come into your house in the multitude of your mercy. In fear of you, I will worship toward your holy temple. Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. Make your way straight before my face, for there is no faithfulness in their mouth. Their inward part is destruction. Their throat is an open tomb. They flatter with their tongue. Pronounce them guilty, O God. Let them fall by their own counsels. Cast them out in the multitude of their transgressions, for they have rebelled against you. And then the last part from our study last time. But let all those rejoice who put their trust in you. Let them ever shout for joy because you defend them. Let those also who love your name be joyful in you. For you, O Lord, will bless the righteous. With favor you will surround him as with a shield. We can read this psalm and put ourselves in the place of David. As the righteous follower of God who is asking for protection from wicked people. And as Christ followers, as believers, we should read it that way. We are God's people. We can go to God in prayer for protection from our enemies and from God's enemies. But we should not forget that we can only do that. We can only pray to God like that because he's put us in a place to do so because of his amazing grace. His amazing grace. Let's walk through the scripture that we just read, just the part that we're doing for today and study it. Uh, let's go just verses four through six. It says, for you are not a God who takes pleasure in wickedness, nor shall evil dwell with you. The boastful shall not stand in your sight. You hate all workers of iniquity. You shall destroy those who speak falsehood. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. Now, this is similar, if you remember, when we studied Psalm 1, and frankly, when we went back and studied the Sermon on the Mount, we kind of talked about these two roads, right? These two roads. There's two ways to go. God's way, every other way. God's way, every other way. Narrow, wide, right? We talked about that. And, and here, once again, we hear, evil will not dwell with God. So listen to Psalm uh, 1, 4 through 6. The ungodly are not so, but they are like the chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. Sinners and ungodly people will not be with God. I know that that is difficult for some people. 
But these are the facts, have always been the facts. We hear about it here from David. It's in the Old Testament. It's in the New Testament. There's no question. If a person is unrepentantly a sinner and an ungodly person, they will not be with God. They will not be with God. Only the righteous will dwell with God. The inheritance of the Christ follower is to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. But the wages for the sinner are death and separation from God. In law school, I took a class on wills and estates. So, you know, the thing that you write um, to give your stuff away when you die. I have a lot of debt, so just raise your hand and I'll write your name down and give it to you. In that class, we read all kinds of cases, including some very strange cases where people would give these massive amounts of money to, like, their cat. It's real. People would do that. They would leave money to their cat. Please don't do that. If you have a lot of money and you have a cat, don't put the two together, okay? It's just, it's just not cool. Just don't do that. But there are people who have done that. So there's a lot of weird cases in uh, wills and estates and trusts and that kind of thing. But I would read these cases of people who would make these silly demands uh, on their heirs. You know, my son gets the house and the money, but only if he marries this kind of person, right? So now the son has to do this thing or he doesn't get the money. But the bottom line is that the person who was given the inheritance got to decide who gets it and what those people have to do to get it within reason. The law doesn't make, let you tell somebody to commit a crime or something to get their money. We who follow Christ have an inheritance, just like an heir would have an inheritance. We inherit the kingdom of God. There is only one condition. We have to be perfect. It's the only condition. We can take the inheritance, but we have to be perfect. That's a difficult one, right? It's not some random condition either. It's a necessary condition because God is perfect, and he cannot have anyone dwell with him who is not also perfect. Now, that sounds pretty unattainable, and it is, right? We were born into iniquity. We have been sinners our whole lives, so we're not perfect. We have not been perfect, and so we haven't earned the inheritance. But this doesn't stop David from saying this. Look at the first part of verse 7. But as for me, I will come into your house. Who does David think he is? He just prayed to the Lord and said, For you are not a God who takes pleasure in wickedness, nor shall evil dwell with you. And David knows he's done wicked things. He knows he's a sinner. So why does he think he will dwell with God? Why does he say, But as for me, I will come into your house. He says it because of the next part of that verse, what he says next. In the multitude of your mercy. In the multitude of your mercy. David is relying on God's mercy. He doesn't think he can walk into God's house because he's got it all going on. He's relying on the mercy of God. He's counting on the righteousness of God to replace his iniquity. So that when God looks at him, he doesn't see his iniquity. Instead, he sees righteousness. Next part of the uh, verses here. It says, In fear of you, I will worship towards your holy temple. Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. Make your way straight before my face. David fears God, which is to say he knows that God is awesome, powerful, holy, perfect, good. And he also knows that God punishes sin. So he asks God to lead him in whose righteousness? In God's righteousness. Lead me in your righteousness, because David knows he doesn't have any righteousness. Listen to the book of Isaiah. This is uh, Isaiah 65, 5, second part of the verse, and 6. You are indeed angry, for we have sinned. In these days we continue, and we need to be saved. But we are all like an unclean thing, and all our righteousness are like filthy rags. Our righteousness is like filthy rags. We all fade as a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, have taken us away. We, 
you and me, we need to be saved because all our righteousnesses are like filthy rags. When we go our own way, when we do our own righteousness, we pervert justice, we do wrong, we hurt people, we hurt ourselves. That's why the modern view of morality is such a filthy lie. I watched a conversation between a strong, solid, biblical Christian, teaches at a seminary, a really solid guy. And the guy he was talking to in this conversation, on YouTube, clicking around, this is, it was interesting, was a Christian who was a pastor of basically a postmodern Christian church. It's nothing like what you would recognize. And he would talk, and I would go, I don't know if I'm getting dumber or if, you, if everything that you say is just nonsense. It was really disheartening. The guy seemed like a nice enough fellow, but everything he said was nonsense. Everything that he believed, he acted like he was very thoughtful and deep and intellectual and all that kind of thing. But all he did was basically rejected everything the scripture said, everything biblical, in favor of kind of like a, ah, oh, we can't really know what's right and wrong. That was kind of his thing, right? But here's the deal, just in case you're wondering. We can know what's right and wrong. It's right here in the Bible. You want to know what's right and wrong? You don't have to wonder and go, how can we even know these things? Open one of these. God has not been unclear about what's right and what's wrong. He's revealed it in Scripture. He's revealed it in nature and the things he's made. We know what is right and wrong. The whole idea that you know what's right for you. And you can interpret the scriptures and the Bible however you want. And after all, is the Bible really relevant to us in the same way in 2021? And it was only written by men. And it was, well, listen, I deal with all that kind of stuff in, in the skeptics forum type things. But that mindset is just nonsense. And it's creating your own righteousness. You're creating your own view of righteousness. I feel okay about it. They're saying this, but they're just judgmental. They're just narrow. That's what, they, that's what they like to do. If you ever get into conversation with one of these uh, folks, it's all about how you're so narrow. Well, you're so narrow in what you believe. And like, so what do you believe? Well, I believe everything but you. <laughs> so, so that seems pretty narrow to me because I don't fit in, uh, right? So in any case, people try to create human righteousness, their own righteousness. They try to make up their own morality. What's right? Their righteousness. And guess what? It's filthy rags. It's filthy rags. God is holy. He defines holiness. We have missed the mark. And as we read in Isaiah, we need to be saved. David knows this. He knows that he enters God's presence, not with his own righteousness, some righteousness that he happened to make up, but only by God's mercy. Only by God's mercy. Only in fear of God. Only when we want God to lead us in his righteousness the only true righteousness, only when that's our mindset, are we going to be in a position to enter the kingdom? We have to want his righteousness, a righteousness we have not earned. So David, in his prayer, he goes on and describes the wicked, and he says, this is verses 9 and 10, for there is no faithfulness in their mouth. Their inward part is destruction. Their throat is an open tomb. They flatter with their tongue. Pronounce them guilty, O God. Let them fall by their own counsels. Cast them out in the multitude of their transgressions, for they have rebelled against you. David describes these people, and then he calls for God's justice on them. I think we have a hard time with this somewhat, or understanding this. 
I know that for me, it's difficult to get my mind around until I understand it correctly. Because it doesn't seem like David's being very merciful for someone who had a lot of mercy given to him. He's asking God to cast these people out and to let them fall. And we generally don't wish this kind of punishment on our enemies. Now, of course, keep in mind through this section of what we're talking about here, that's not why he's doing it. He's asking for God's justice because he needs protection to continue to do God's plan. Okay? But this is how we're supposed to look at our enemies. Look, at Jesus tells us this. This is Matthew 5, 43 through 48. We studied this some time back. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. Easy, right? Not easy at all. And you'll want to be sure and check out our next episode for part two and see how this all works. Until then, let me invite you to visit us here at Axe Church in Vancouver, Washington. If you enjoy Pastor David's teaching here on Contemplate, you'll really enjoy it in person. Easy directions and all the info you need are just a click away at axechurchnw.org. Or give us a call at 360-885-9000. Hope to meet you this Sunday. And I hope you'll be right here next time for part two of Grace and Enemies here on Contemplate.